Today's a great day to study God's Word. Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm excited to jump into our second lesson in Philippians. So while you hop aboard the Bible bus and you find your seat, Greg and I have an update on the great things that God is doing through His Word, this time in Cambodia. And Cambodia is a country we've been broadcasting and distributing the teaching since 2001, Steve. So yeah. that's that long-term commitment that we get to have. And as that is a result of that long-term commitment are stories like the one you're going to share right now. Yeah, it says, My understanding of how God cares for sinners like me is gradually increasing as I go through each message. Seeing Jesus in each book makes me feel closer to him. I've transformed into a new person who loves serving God and my family. As a Christian, I find this program to be an inspiration to maintain my compassion for those who do not believe. Now that God has opened the door, every weekend I lead meetings for three different groups, and we all study the lessons together. I hope that God uses this instrument as a gift to others. Wow. And that letter, there's a million things we could say about yeah. it, but, but I just want to call out and remind us all how amazing it is that, that often we reach one person who then becomes a minister and the leveraged effect is huge. Yep. So here's another great letter from our Cambodian ministry in the language of Khmer. My name is Tiorn. My life was transformed and I learned to love those who opposed me because of God's grace and love. When I converted to Christianity, I still retained emotion deep inside my heart. The hate has always been a part of my everyday existence. Mm. I prayed repeatedly every single day. I listened to this program for nearly a whole year, and as a result, I experienced a significant shift in my personality. The qualities of patience, humility, and love suddenly filled my heart. It made me so glad to realize that even the enemy may be loved and forgiven, for me, the Word of God is a powerful instrument. God is so wonderful. I want to thank you for caring about me. May the Lord bless everyone who is listening. Wow, oh. that is such an encouragement. <laughs> Although he didn't use the word, I mean, there's sanctification oh, in shoe leather. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, a significant shift in my personality. That's just an, uh, an, an everyday way of saying I'm becoming more like Jesus. Yes. Incredible. Yeah. Also, you know what, Steve? I, I just want to say... People often say, you guys read letters all the time. Well, you know, I work in this ministry every day. I read a letter like that, and I am both encouraged. I'm also convicted. Like, yeah. am I doing that in my life? And that's what I love about hearing these stories. Yeah, it really is an encouragement. Greg, why don't you pray for our study and for our brothers and sisters in Cambodia as we begin? Father, we thank you. What a privilege that we get to bring the systematic teaching of your whole word to a country like Cambodia that has suffered genocide and the murder of millions of people and and the the upheaval thank you that we can bring the peace of jesus into the lives of people who are following and 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 really being transformed by your word so thank you for that we pray you would continue to do that in our lives as we study and all around the world in jesus name amen now let's open to philippians 1 as we make our way through the bible with dr j vernon mcgee now, friends, back at the epistle to the Philippians, and you'll recall that this is the place that Paul first came to when he crossed over from Asia into Europe. And I haven't any idea that Paul, when he started out on his second missionary journey, thought he would be going to Europe. He planned very definitely, as Dr. Luke tells us, to go down into the province of Asia, which Ephesus was the leading city, 
and an entire area at that day that was the very heartthrob of the Roman Empire. All of Greek culture was there, and the climate was delightful, and everything was all go as far as that area was concerned. And Paul did there later his greatest missionary work. In fact, millions apparently turned to Christ in that particular area. But the Spirit of God wouldn't let him go there at first, wouldn't let him go north to Bithynia, and moved him out to Troy, where there he was given a vision that moved him into Europe. And we can all thank God for that, I think, today. And there he came to Philippi, and a church came into existence because of his missionary endeavor. And that church was closest to the Apostle Paul of any church. They loved him. I think they loved him probably as no other church did. Now, I gather that from the epistle. And when they heard he was in Rome in prison, for they'd lost touch with him for two years when he was arrested in Jerusalem, why, their heart went out to him. They dispatched their pastor with a gift for Paul and also for a word of comfort and sympathy to him. And he's responding to all of that in this epistle. Now, he didn't write this epistle to correct any doctrine or any conduct. He just wrote it as a thank you note, and he discusses here something that I'm sure all of us rejoice in, Christian living, Christian experience. And in these brief four chapters, we have, first of all, chapter 1, the philosophy of Christian living. Chapter 2, we have there the pattern for Christian living. Chapter 3, the prize for Christian living. Chapter 4, the power for Christian living. And all of these are very important, and it will all be brought to a focal point in one verse in each chapter, and we'll see that at the proper time. But now, here, as we open this epistle, you find that Paul has the tenderest feelings for these folk there. And in these first two verses, we have an introduction. And then as we move over, we find Paul's tender feelings for these people there. And my, his relationship to that church was a glorious, wonderful relationship. Now, the first two verses are actually an introduction. And we want to cover verse 2. We actually only got down through verse 1 last time. Now, in verse 2, he says, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've called attention to this before in other epistles, and we'll have it before us again. It was Paul's form of address to all the churches. And he took two very commonplace words in that day. Grace, in the Greek, is charis. And it was a form of greeting in the Roman world of that day. I'm sure that any place in Asia Minor, had you walked down the street, you would have heard this form of greeting, charis. And it meant grace. Well, maybe today we'd say charis, but we would mean have a good day. <laughs> and that's what God is saying to you, have a good eternity. And he says, I've fixed it so you can. Now, a lot of folk could say to me, have a good day. They don't contribute to it in any way other than just say that, and it's nice. But God's made an arrangement whereby you can have a good eternity, 
and it's by the grace of God. And then peace always follows. It never precedes. It never leads the parade. I see this on many bumpers today. And I hear a great deal in this world about peace. And it's a religious word. Chorus comes out of the Greek world, but peace comes out of the religious world. It's a Hebrew form of greeting, shalom. Jerusalem is the city of peace. Jerusalem, the city of peace. And it's never been that. It's been the city of war. And right now, it's really a thorn in the flesh of the world. They don't know what to do with it. But when the Prince of Peace is ruling there, there will be peace in the world. But today, there is a peace that comes through the grace of God. And that is, as Paul stated in Romans, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. Now, this is a peace that a sinner can have with a holy God because Christ died for us, paid the penalty, and now God in grace can save you, not by you bringing God something because, frankly, you have anything to bring to him. I have never brought anything to him except sin. And he's paid a penalty that he can receive me as a sinner, can receive you. And then you can enjoy and know in this world of turmoil, this world of tension, this world of trial, this world that's so filled today with things that are wrong, you can know the peace of God in your heart. That is, the peace of God that he gives to those that trust Jesus Christ to save you. These are two important words. Now the peace, the grace and peace is from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask a theological question here. Isn't Paul a Trinitarian? Doesn't he believe in that Trinity? Why doesn't he say from the Holy Spirit? Well, because the Holy Spirit was already over there in Philippi and dwelling believers. So Paul's quite accurate, as you can see. Now, verse 3, and we come here to this very wonderful section where he reveals his tender feelings for the Philippians. And this is from verse 3 through verse 11. Now, will you notice it? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It's wonderful to have a church and to feel that way about them. And actually, the quite literal of this is, the better translation would be, all my remembrance of you causes me to thank God. <laughs> Anything he'd think about them. Every time anybody mentioned Philippi, Paul would just thank God for them. That's quite wonderful, by the way. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This is something that is hard to define. Now, every now and then, I get a letter from some organization that wants me to do something, you know, or are asking me for something, and that's perfectly legitimate. But they begin the letter by saying, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I'm not always sure that they feel that way about me because of the fact that, you know, they're sort of preparing you for what is coming. But it is wonderful to be the kind of a person or be in a church where you can say, well, every time I think of that church, I just thank my God for it. That is something that 
I think that is quite wonderful. And if Paul hadn't said anything else here about his relationship to this church, this would have been enough, friends, to reveal how wonderful they were. He just didn't go around saying this about the other churches because you look and see. He never said that to the Galatians. He didn't say it to the Corinthians either. And he's not through now. He says, always, <laughs> not just sometimes, but always in every prayer of mine. That is, every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Now, the you all makes it very clearly, again, that Paul is speaking now to all of the saints that are in the church. Not to Seneca's group or not to Euodice's group or not to this little clique or that little clique, but he's writing to the total church there, the corporate body in the local church, he says, for you all. Now, he uses that expression again, verse 7, you all. And then verse 8, you all. And he uses it quite frequently. Now, the very interesting thing, and I guess I'll have to say this, and you folks, that are listening to me north of the Mason-Dixon line, you listen very carefully now because this is a great theological point I'm making. On the basis of this, I assume that Paul, I can tell you where he came from. I assume he was a southerner because he says, you all, and we're the folk that use that expression, only we don't use it for singular. We use it for plural, that is, most of us do. And then I can even tell you what state he came from. Because over in Romans, he says, I reckon. And you know who says that. Texans say that. So I can tell you where Paul came from. He came from the south. He came from Texas. He uses you all and says, I reckon. Now, friends, I recognize that I have now given you a great theological point that probably you wouldn't be able to pick up anywhere else, but we're delighted to be able to pass this on to you. But I think maybe we better go to something a little bit more important. Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. It was Benkel that said, the sum of the epistle is, I rejoice, rejoice ye. And actually, I think that that could be put on a placard. And this would be a good time to have a protest. And the protest would be to every church now. Paul says, I rejoice, you rejoice. This is something for believers. He's saying to them, you rejoice. Now, when you find out where Paul is, you can see how important that is. He's going to tell us again and again, I rejoice. You know where he is? Well, he's over in Rome in prison. He's probably not in the Mamertine prison at this time, but he's in a place equally as disagreeable. And I never felt in that day the Romans went in with the idea of trying to discipline prisoners. They were punishing them, which was quite accurate. That was always the thought until we've got this new idea in our day, which is entirely incorrect. And it is the thing that's produced lawlessness on the outside. Why, today we're becoming a nation of criminals. Why? Because we're trying to make criminals on the inside of prison as nice and sweet as those on the outside. And by the way, we've just about accomplished that. But it's certainly put more criminals on the outside than we've ever had on the inside of prisons today. 
Now, we have here this very wonderful thing, rejoice. And I've never felt like, just because this word occurs 19 times, that we should say that this is the joy epistle. Well, I felt like if you're going to pick out the word that occurs more than any other word, take the name of Jesus Christ. His name appears over 40 times in the epistle, and he's the center of this epistle, and he's the one that is the very source of joy. And therefore, the emphasis should be put upon him and not joy. We're trying today to produce joy in the church by external means. You know, we have a program that we tell folk, come, you will enjoy it. We have a banquet, and folk always enjoy a banquet, so we have joy, we say. But that actually is not joy, because joy does not depend on outward circumstances. It depends upon the inward condition of the individual. It depends on what is a common expression today, a proper attitude. What's your attitude toward life? If you are complaining and whining today about your lot in life, why, certainly you're not going to have joy in your life. You may be able to go to a church banquet and have a little fun, but you're not going to have joy. But when you and I get to the place where we find ourselves in the center of the will of God, and regardless of where it is, we know we're in God's will, then there'll be joy in our lives. So Paul could say here, I make requests for you all, and I do it with joy. Paul said the time of prayer was not a time of, you know, of, oh boy, we've got to go through this ordeal again of praying for these individuals. Paul says, well, this was just a lot of fun for me to pray for you Philippians, and in jail it brought joy to my heart. Now, he's going to not only make requests for them, but he's very grateful for certain things. And here he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, for your fellowship in the gospel. Now we've come to a very important word in this epistle. I have spoken of it before, but actually I've not enlarged upon it at all. What is the word fellowship? What does it really mean? Now, I don't think that it is a word that even in the church today is used properly. And certainly the world has taken this up, and they use it a great deal today. They talk about fellowship. I think I've told you about years ago I went down to Huntington Beach once a year, sometimes twice at either Christmas or Easter time, and spoke at a Rotary Club luncheon. A doctor was chairman of the committee down there, the program committee, and he invited me to come down and give them both barrels, and I generally did because that was always been my method. And we feel like, at least I feel very definitely, that that's my business. I have been asked to give an illustrated message of mine on the seven churches. If I'd leave out the gospel and present it, why, I could go to certain places across the country. Well, I don't do it because that's not my business. My business is to give out the Word of God. And when I give an illustrated message, that's the purpose of it. And when I go to speak at a luncheon like this, I don't go there to entertain the fellas. However, I hope I, you know, give them a few laughs, but that's not my purpose. I go there to give the Word of God. 
But they had up over the speaker's table food, fun, fellowship. And I want to say that I didn't think they should have bragged about any one of the three. The food was, well, it was embalmed chicken with peas big as bullets. And then they had fun, was corny jokes like I tell. And the fellowship was patting somebody on the back saying, Hello, Bill, how's business? Or how's tricks? But that's not fellowship. Actually, fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia. And it means to share the things of Christ. That's what it means. And there are three elements that must enter into it. Spiritual communication is one thing. And second, there must be sympathetic cooperation. And third, there must be sweet communion. Those are the three things that enter into fellowship. First, spiritual communication. That is sharing the things of Christ. And second, sympathetic cooperation. Then we work together for Christ. That's the reason when Paul used the word fellowship, he could be talking about Bible reading, Bible study. He could be speaking about prayer. He could be speaking about celebrating the Lord's Supper or actually taking up an offering. All of those Paul called koinonia, a fellowship. You see, sharing the things of Christ. First would be a spiritual communication. We would be sharing the great truths concerning Christ, as I hope we're doing right now. And then, second, sympathetic cooperation. We could work together, and then the result would be sweet communion. You and I would be partners, and that's what we want you to be in this broadcast, that we might have koinonia, we might have fellowship in the Word of God today, getting the Word of God out. And I don't think there's anything quite like it. Now, that word will be before us again. But Paul says that this church now is having fellowship with him. He had communicated to them the gospel and the word of God. And they had had sympathetic cooperation because they had shared with Paul. They had sent to him, he'll tell us in the fourth chapter again and again, they'd ministered to him of physical things. And then when they were together, they'd had sweet communion. How wonderful it is. Now, Paul says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You remember Paul went to that city and he had this wonderful fellowship. Now he says here, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a very wonderful verse. Now, it's so important that I want to spend a little time with it. I don't have time to do that today. So next time, we're going to begin in Philippians, first chapter, verse 6. And until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. That's the end of our study today, but stay with us to hear a few closing thoughts Dr. McGee added later. Now, today, we learned what fellowship with others means. But fellowship also means enjoying God each day. Dr. McGee explains more in his free digital booklet, How to Have Fellowship with God, and it's available for free at ttb.org forward slash booklets. Again, that's ttb.org forward slash booklets. Or if you need to reach us by phone, call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now here again is Dr. McGee. As you leave the bus today, friends, 
I'd like to put in your hand a picture to take with you. Probably I should say a picture to put in your heart and in your mind because it's a word picture. It is a portrait of a Christian, and it's very appropriate as we are now getting into this marvelous epistle to the Philippians, which deals with Christian living. I'm quoting now. Not only in the words you say, not only in your deeds confess, but in the most unconscious way is Christ expressed. Is it a beatific smile, a holy light upon your brow? Oh, no. I felt his presence when you laughed just now. For me, t'was not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes he beckons me, from your lips his love is shed, till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. Jesus came home, all to be my home. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We're grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.